Healthcare is broken, and the healthcare industry is not going to fix itself. Reconstructing Healthcare is a podcast series where we interview the rebel entrepreneurs working tirelessly to disrupt the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we break down everything that's wrong with the current healthcare system and provide you with a blueprint to create better results. Now, here's your host, Michael Maneri. All right. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Al Lewis, CEO of Quizify. Al, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Michael. You bet. You bet. So here's the game plan. What we seek to do on this show is challenge the status quo and educate our audience on non-traditional methods to either lower their healthcare costs or improve value for their employees. Sound like something you want to help with? I think I might know a little bit about those topics. Well, let's get going. So I am going to start with a bio. So our audience has a little bit of uh, information about who they're, they're listening to here. So Al Lewis is the CEO of Quizify, which in collaboration with doctors at Harvard Medical School, teaches employees health literacy using a format best described as Jeopardy meets health education meets Comedy Central. Prior to Quizify, Al Lewis's specialty was measuring wellness outcomes. Two of his outcomes measurement books have been trade bestsellers, and one was named Healthcare Book of the Year in Forbes. Because he measures outcomes validly, he has been called the wellness industry's troublemaker in chief. And that's by his supporters. What his detractors say can't be repeated in a family forum such as this one. Before getting into wellness in the 90s, he was a partner at Bain & Company. He graduated with distinction Phi Beta Kappa from Harvard, where he also taught economics. He also graduated from Harvard Law School, but his only distinction there was winning the annual trivia contest. That is quite the bio, Al. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, my, and my favorite part is the last one about winning the annual trivia contest. Well, that's, that's what Quizify is. It's, it's, uh, it's trivia. You know, it's taking this, all this healthcare information and turning it into trivia. But if you need any useless information uh, before about 1980, I'm the guy to ask. After 1980, uh, you know, let the youngins handle that. <laughs> Let's take a step back here. Let's, you've had a very long and interesting career. You worked in consulting. You've held various leadership roles in, in organizations. And as I just mentioned, you've authored you know, a number of books. So how did all of that lead to you launching Quizify? Well, I'll just give you the this, this short version here. But um, uh, basically, I was in the, the disease management and wellness business uh, and was just very disappointed in the level of mathematical rigor. And, and uh, unfortunately, there wasn't much of a market for people who were, you know, kind of saying, don't do this stuff. You can make a lot more money telling people to do things than not. Uh, so I kind of knew I needed something new, but I didn't know what. And then, as coincidence would have it, I got uh, overdiagnosed, hugely overdiagnosed, and set up for surgery for something that I absolutely did not need. A di the, the diagnosis was, was far greater than what I had, and the surgery would have been completely unnecessary. And they also wanted to do a lot of diagnostic tests before the surgery. And I just kept saying, no, 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 no. And, and finally, I, I, I got away from this thing. And the only thing I ended up with was a prescription that it actually turned out I also didn't need. So I was thinking, you know, if this stuff can happen to me, and I've been in this industry for 20 years, and, and by the way, the, the place that I got this from, the practice was fully capitated. So it wasn't like they're making any money on this. It's just, it was doctors practicing medicine. I thought, if this stuff can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. Right, right. And, and then, you know, I had the epiphany that, well, because of my trivia background, I mean, I was on Jeopardy, 
I wrote a best-selling trivia game. So I, I knew a lot about trivia. Um, because of that background, I just kind of put the two together, healthcare information and a trivia Q&A format, and came up with Quizify. Got it. Love it. Love it. Well, we'll get into that in a second. But I want to talk in a macro level first, just about our healthcare system and, and, and get your thoughts there. I mean, really, we, we have this system that's designed to fail, really, in the form of, of higher healthcare costs that you know, consume more of our, our disposable income. And uh, there's a recent Kaiser Family Foundation report that indicated all Americans who do have health insurance, over a third of those people have difficulty affording their health insurance premiums and out-of-pocket expenses. So while Medicare inflation you know, might be lower over the past couple of years than it has, you know, over the last decade, it seems like affordability is getting worse. So what do you think is wrong specifically with our, our healthcare delivery and payment system? And what do you think payers of healthcare, i.e. employers, need to be doing differently? Well, employers are the ultimate uh, watchdogs in theory. Uh, in practice, they've outsourced too much of their sort of uh, fiduciary responsibility to intermediaries and payers, and for that matter, PBMs are supposed to be watching out for them, uh, but aren't. I mean, everybody's got a hand in the cookie jar. As an employer, I mean, I, I could easily go in and find, you know, five things that they, that they should be doing that they aren't or that they uh, are doing that they shouldn't be. But they're convinced that this is the way to go. And, and all, all that, that most of us can do is sort of tweak around the edges of, of these things, I'm afraid. I mean, the, the system is, you know, you said it was set up to fail. It's actually set up to succeed, but it's set up to succeed for the people who are on the receiving end of the checks. That's right. And unfortunately, it feels like there's a lot of inertia out there. And I think that that ends up being one of the primary obstacles. But I think we could, t- we could talk about that for a better portion of the hour. So let's, let's get into the Quizify product and service. And so tell us, you know, what is it and what specific problem are you attempting to solve with it? The, the Quizify product is, I think, as you mentioned in the intro, imagine Jeopardy meets health education meets Comedy Central. That's Quizify. So the idea is that as we say, wiser employees make healthier decisions and healthier decisions save money. That's the product right there. Logistically, peeling the onion back or peeling the onion, the quizzes tend to go out in 10 questions a month, uh, 12 months a year. They, they pop into employee email boxes or by text uh, and uh, employees uh, play them and they typically get some kind of small incentive or drawing for completing the quiz and you're your odds of winning the drawing tend to be higher the more questions you got right. And very importantly, unlike every other wellness-related program on the planet, uh, we encourage cheating. Cheating is – we, we, we channel human nature. We don't deny its existence. There's no – so we want you to Google things and look them up before you give the answers because that's how you're going to remember them. So it's a platform that's a quiz. It's time to educate, you know, folks. I think one of the things that I've read on your website and and in some of the materials that I've gone through with some of your teams, you talk about healthcare literacy as a challenge and, and as something that Quizify helps address. Can we talk about that for a second? I mean, what does health literacy mean and, and what are the economic consequences of low healthcare literacy? Well, health literacy means a number of things to a number of people. At the, at the most basic level, it means something like if your bottle of pills says take four times a day, when do you take the pills? If you take the first one at seven, when do you take the second? So that's kind of the most basic level. All the way up to the most sophisticated level, which is 
Uh, how do you have an informed conversation with your doctor about tests and procedures that they're saying, well, just to be safe, we should do this and that kind of thing? How, how do you have that conversation where it doesn't end up that you just say yes to everything that they want to do? And then everything in between. And, and so that's kind of healthcare literacy. Mm-hmm. There's also health lifestyle literacy. So, for instance, one question, the first question right on our quizify.com is there's a picture of a granola bar and the ingredients label, and it asks you how many times is sugar listed in the label. Well, it turns out, you know, that the food companies will distribute, you know, as I say, sometimes sprinkle the sugars throughout the ingredients label so they don't appear as the first ingredient. And in fact, I, I was just, because that's what people read. And in fact, I was just eating some Cheerios today and right on top of the box, it says, first ingredient, whole grains. You know, So they know that people are reading the first ingredient. By the way, no knock against Cheerios. They're actually a fairly healthy cereal. But the food companies have figured out how to even make unhealthy things sound healthy. So if you look at this granola bar, there are people who think granola bars are a meal substitute, they're, that they're doing something good for themselves. But no, these things are candy, folks. And they go out. It's not just, it's not just that the, the sugars are sprinkled throughout the ingredients labels, that they use these synonyms. So if you look at a Cliff Bar, the first ingredient in Cliff Bar is organic brown rice syrup. Now, they use that specifically because it does not sound like sugar. Right. To me, it sound, it's organic, right? So it must, and, it, and it's brown rice. You know, that's got fiber, you know. Right. But it must, we, must be good for you. It, it, yeah, except in Inquisify, we teach that everything that uh, ends in syrup is sugar. And everything that ends in the letters O-S-E is sugar. And there are a whole bunch of other things that are sugar. So uh, I had mentioned before, I said we teach health care literacy we teach health literacy. We also teach health benefits literacy. So there are plenty of things that employees don't know about their own health benefits. And most, I would say not most, I'd say probably half of them have an EAP, have no clue what that EAP is. They don't even know what EAP stands for. And the reason I know that is because my, I'm in my wife's health plan and she has an EAP. And as it turned out, we needed the services of an EAP uh, a few months ago for some elder care. And it didn't occur to me to ask her. So we're, you know, scrambling around, calling people and whatnot. And then like a month later, I said, do, do you have an EAP you know, at Boston College? I said, I don't know. What's an EAP? So this is the Quizmeister's wife who doesn't know what an EAP is. You know? <laughs> in fact, they did have one and it would have covered the, uh, the elder care. So you can, as an employer, you can customize the material to teach about your own benefits. Got it. Right. So, so there's three categories there that you talked about. But for the average employer out there listening to this, I'm sure there's, you know, varying degrees of healthcare literacy within any, you know, workforce. What are some of the, I guess, economic consequences of, of having low health literacy of your population? Well, there have been a couple of government studies that have shown that when you're spending somebody else's money, which generally you are as an employee, <laughs> the more you know, the less you spend, because the more likely you are, like, for instance, not to demand a CAT scan, because as an employee, we get enough CAT scans thrown at us, like the one that I got thrown at me in the first example I gave, without going out and demanding them. A health litter employee knows, number one, that they are full of radiation. They have about 500 times the radiation of an x-ray. Okay, nobody tells you that. You know, you just have to know it. 
You didn't no. know. I can tell by the look no. on your face. You yeah, of no. course not. Nobody knows it. <laughs> and even just the fact of knowing that makes you much less likely to, uh, to demand them. They also lead to what's known as uh, incidental lomas, which are findings that nobody is looking for. And they just happen to show up in a CAT scan because you get – a CAT scan is basically a, a whole bunch of little x-rays taken in a circle around you to create a cross-section. That's where all the radiation comes from. But because they're so precise – you see things you otherwise wouldn't see inside your body that like things on your skin aren't going to harm you. But if they're inside your body, they show up and you feel like you got to do something about them. So wiser employees know that as we sometimes say, just because it's healthcare doesn't mean it's good for you. I like that. I like that saying. <laughs> I might have to use that. So what percentage of, of you know, an average workforce is below average when it comes to healthcare literacy. Is it is it fifty percent? Is it is it less than that? That's an interesting way of putting it because by definition, fifty percent is going to be below the average. But the level that you want people to be at, about eighty-eight percent or below that, according to the Journal of the American Medical Association. Okay, and and so. what's what's curious, Michael, is that we have all sorts of different accounts. We have, we have uh, you know, line uh, manufacturers assembly uh, at one level, all the way up to universities, and the scores actually aren't that different. Which makes sense, though, because just because you're a, a college-educated professor versus, you know, someone who's a, you know, line worker in a factory, both those individuals may have different expertises in what they do, and both of them may be ignorant on the specific healthcare literacy questions that, you know, you're asking throughout the quiz. So to me, that, that's not necessarily surprising. It surprised us at first, but it doesn't anymore for just the reasons you gave. There's no reason that, that the professor would know, uh, you know, to use that CAT scan example about the CAT scan any more than someone on the line would. Right. So if I'm an employer, I mean, how am I supposed to think about Quizify? Is, is it a program that fits in the wellness category or the education and engagement category? How would you categorize it? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. And, and I'm, I'm looking at you on the camera and you don't look old enough to remember these old certs commercials where one person would say certs is a candy mint and the other person would say, no, certs is a breath mint. Candy mint, breath mint. Then they'd say it's two mints and one. Okay. <laughs> so we are actually a content tool because we're teaching people just the way wellness vendors are supposed to teach people. We teach people what they need to know in the, in the areas of health benefits, health care, and, and healthy living. So, for instance, uh, if you look at a, a wellness, a health risk assessment, I mean, a lot of them actually have incorrect information in them, like uh, eat low-fat or non-fat yogurt, which turns out to be a fantastically stupid idea because, number one, it's full of sugar. And number two, it actually turns out that dairy saturated fat is, is protective against diabetes. That's new within the last two or three years. Whole fat dairy is actually better for you than, than skim dairy. I mean, uh, nobody knew that. And there's still the HRA is hmm. the opposite. But sometimes an HRA, I think like Virgin Pulse's HRA will say, eat a healthy breakfast. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, what is a healthy breakfast? Well, that's where they end and we begin. You know, we talk about, uh, I mean, oatmeal, we talk about eggs. Now, eggs turn out to be healthy for 95% of the population and not for the other five. And we teach you how you can figure out whether you're in the 95 or the five. We also teach you that if a, if, a, if a product is called Kellogg's Smart Start with antioxidants, well, uh, number one, it's full of sugar. It's actually, it's actually got more sugar than most cereals right. do. 
And number two, it turns out this whole antioxidant thing is a bit of a crock. So we teach that as well. So if I'm, uh, just to to circle back to your uh, initial question, how do I characterize? Well, that's all content, but our particular guarantee is an engagement guarantee because our content is so engaging and it's much easier to guarantee engagement than it is to try to figure out how to guarantee content. So Mm -hmm. I I do want to take a second to describe this engagement guarantee and I'll actually send it to you, but it's a two-question survey on Google And actually, the Validation Institute is going to adopt it for their own use because that's how easy it is to use. So you ask employees two things about five or six benefits, you know, uh, different wellness things that they have access to that you're paying for. Mm -hmm. Number one, did you use it? If so, how many times? So that's the first question. The second question is, was it helpful for you? Did, Did you use it? Well, that's participation. Was it helpful? That's value. You multiply the participation by the value to get engagement. So that becomes your y-axis. Your x-axis is how much did this thing cost? So you then, you get this information back from your employees on five or six or seven, whatever different benefits, and you can array them on this graph. And what we guarantee is that we're always going to be in the upper left quadrant, meaning the most cost-effective quadrant. And if we're not, then we reduce our price enough to get us into that quadrant. So it's kind of the ultimate transparent user-generated guarantee. We don't, you know, it's, it's your survey, you do the survey, and mm-hmm. we live by the results. I like that. That's actually uh, quite elegant in, in its simplicity. It, yes, it, it is. And that's what we're aiming for. We're aiming for something that can be done transparently, easily, and and can be seen on a, on a graph in a minute how it turns out. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to the content. You mentioned something a second ago that, that struck me. You gave an example of another wellness vendor putting out information that was, was actually incorrect or, you know, a question that, you know, <laughs> eat a healthy breakfast. What the hell does that mean, right? So you have the Harvard Health Publishing logo on your quizzes. Do you want to share with us? I mean, what's the significance of that? And does that create some sort of integrity to the content? Uh, yes. Yeah. So our content is, is always up to date. And the reason that the Harvard Health slash Harvard Medical School thing is on there is because they uh, review all of our material before it goes out. And they, it's their job to be as up to date in this stuff as possible. We are the only vendor in all of vendordom allowed to use the Harvard Medical School Shield um, because they, they, we, uh, we collaborate with them in this matter. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes we get questions from them. Sometimes they actually get stuff from us that they put, they say, oh, this sounds interesting, and they write blogs about it. So it's, it's this great relationship. They've been terrific to work with. And as you might imagine, having that logo it settles all debates about, hey, where are these people getting their information? Sure. You know, you mentioned engagement. What is the typical employee participation and engagement over over a one period, one year period, and and, and how do you measure that? Well, the, the measurement's quite well. The measurement I, I just described, which is the number of uses times the uh, sorry the reviews. You know, how useful was it? But we're doing this every month for the year, so they get they get twelve shots at it. Uh, it it's tough to come up with an average for engagement because as is generally true in wellness. Um, a lot of it depends on the incentives. 
the well, well, yeah, actually, curiously, the incentives, although it is important to have an incentive, the incentives turn out to not be a big driver. In fact, we've actually been recommending to people that they cut back on incentives and do drawings. And uh, you can generally do a get the same participation in Quizify with a drawing that, you know, give out like 10 gift cards a month of $100 each as you would to do a, you know, a $100 incentive over the, for everyone over the course of a year. And it can cost like a, a quarter as much. So at some point at Quizify, people have to be intrinsically motivated because they want to actually play the game. Mm-hmm. And so if we went in places that we have zero incentive, we get about 10% playing a month, which may not seem like a lot, but try doing anything else in wellness with a zero incentive and see if the average employee does it once a year, which is what 10% a month is, a little bit more than once a year. Uh, where there are drawings that number goes to easily to 50%. So literally the average employee is playing six games a year. That, of course, it's an average of uh, people who don't do it at all and people who, it, there are places where when we put a quiz out, people are playing it within minutes. I mean, you seriously have to wonder, I'm not going to mention any names, you know, what are people doing their day jobs here if they have time to just right. drop everything and play the, uh, play the quiz? Well, I guess that that speaks to the fact that the first time was engaging enough that they were they're excited to do it again. Yes, and but, what happens, Michael? Just to, to finish up, so the participation yeah. generally is the highest the first month because there's some tire kickers. Then it falls off in month two, and then it actually builds a little bit each month after that, as kind of word gets out that hey, this is fun. Did you see this quiz? You know, mm-hmm. why are why are you eating that granola bar? Didn't you take the quiz? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Even if the average is, is, you know, 50%, give or take, I mean, that's still pretty high relative to, I think, what we would see with other initiatives that you might put into the the wellness bucket or category. Yeah. Well, Michael, I I would actually add to that. That's 50% a month. Okay. So that's 600% a, a year. The average employee is playing six times a year. That's why we use this particular, we have this engagement guarantee is that we, we don't want people confusing an employee playing our game, 50% of our employees playing our game every month with 50% of people doing a screening once a year. Those are two very different 50%. Mm-hmm. And the engagement guarantee uh, and the, the display on the axis will show that. It will show that when you say, how many times did you do something? Well, you know, I did Quizify uh, six times last year. I went to the EAP twice. I did the screening once. So it all arrays on this graph. Yep. Let's talk about reporting for a second. For an employer, let's say, who does want to administer an incentive, and maybe like you say in that example, it is a drawing of some sort for a gift card. What kind of reporting do they get to be able to do that? Because there's no HIPAA issue, since we're not actually asking anybody. In fact, one of the reasons that we've seen on our, when we've done focus groups, is they're, they're, one of the reasons that people choose Quizify over screens when they have the choice is because they don't have to part with any information or any blood or anything like that. That means that you can get employee-level detail, not just how many, but which employees took which quizzes, which questions are they getting right and wrong, uh, you know, average scores, essentially any report you want. We haven't had to do an ad hoc report in about two years because the standard reporting is so robust. So one of the things that, uh, that people do is they customize the, uh, the material and they might ask about a benefit 
and they might want to know how many employees how many employees actually understood that we offered this benefit you know there mm-hmm. those are the questions that they're most interested in is the ones where they're already spending the money on something are people understanding what they're offering yeah and going back to the reporting they can see you know what questions people are are looking at i think i meant to ask this though but when it goes back to the questions can the employer create custom questions on their own as well oh absolutely what they what we tend to see more of is and we don't we actually say to the employers don't try to write the question. It's actually far harder than you think to write a question. If you write a question, we're going to edit. We're going to go back and forth four or five times. If you just tell us the factoid, we'll write the question. Mm-hmm. You edit it once, and then we're done. Yeah. Uh, so they do that. And then we have templates for questions like 401K, what's the match type thing, where you just you know, put in your own information. And there are actually quite a number of, of, you know, EAP, how many, how many free visits do you get? Telehealth, you know, what's the copay? What's the phone number? So we get very granular, like with the EAP quiz, for example, you know, we cover the confidentiality, we cover what they cover and what they don't, the zero copays, the number of visits, the range of things that they offer. But then we say, you know, we cover like, what's the website? What's the phone number? And it turns out, Michael, that when we ask people, we say, okay, we're going to write this question. Tell us your phone number. That a shocking number of people don't know their website and they don't know the phone number. I don't mean the employees. I mean the employers who are giving us information. They'll tend to give us the corporate websites. We always check, you know, because it's wrong more than it's right. And so, we put these in funny formats. So, like the what's the phone number question, you know, one of the choices is uh, 8675309, you know. So, we have stuff like that to, to lighten it up. Yeah. So, we have a question like, what type of people, I like, I like on our summer hazards, our summer hazards are a big category this month, as you might imagine. Stuff about sunblock that I didn't know when I researched it. Like, did you know there's a difference between sunblock and sunscreen? I always thought they were synonyms. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, and and by all means, please educate me. <laughs> What's the difference? Since you asked. All right. So, the sunblock is the stuff that looks kind of white on your face and actually reflects the sun. It keeps you from getting burned. And that, as long as you're white, you're protected from being burned, as long as you can see it. Sunscreen is the chemical part of sunblock that gets absorbed into your skin and actually uh, diffuses the UVA. The sunblock blocks the UAVB, which is the burning ray. Maybe it's the other way around. The sunblock blocks the burning rays. The sunscreen diffuses the uh, aging and skin cancer rays so that when they get into your skin, they're not sunlight anymore. They're just heat. So it also means that, and that's the stuff that breaks down every two hours. So even if you look at yourself and you're white, newsflash, you're not protected from premature aging and skin cancer because the sunscreen part has broken down, even though the sunblock part is still working. We get a whole podcast, <laughs> like beach umbrellas turn out to be some of the most overrated things on earth. You know, we have, I mean, I know they're not a lot of ticks where you are, but up in the Northeast and the, the Northern Midwest, we have whole quizzes about ticks. Fascinating. Well, I can tell you what, good information on the sunblock, but I'm bald, so I pretty much wear a hat uh, anyways. I'm not only uh, getting a little bit bald myself, but I'm, at 6'5", I'm closer to the sun than you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So let's talk a little bit about for an employer, 
who, you know, goes onto your website and starts researching Quizify. Uh, I believe there's something on there that says you guarantee savings. So tell us more about that. How do you, how do you guarantee savings for an employer? Oh, it's actually shockingly easy, and yet nobody has taken us up on it. Well, first of all, you have to be of a certain size because there has okay. to be a signal-to-noise ratio. Sure. Uh, and we have there's, – there's about 10 categories where – where people dramatically overuse uh, healthcare. Uh, I mentioned CAT scans, there's MRIs, spinal fusions, uh, certain types of uh, open surgeries. Um, and, and I'm going to mention spinal fusions again because that, that one is huge. Antibiotics. Oh, the heartburn pills. I mean, they turn out to be like the worst things in the world for you. You know, you typically you're buying them over the counter, but a lot of benefits designed actually make it cheaper to get it by prescription. So it costs a lot of money. You take them and they're, they're, I'm talking about like Prevacid, Prilosec. Sure. You take them and you get relief and you don't feel any side effects. So you just keep taking them. Well, the label says eight weeks and then discontinue for three months because it turns out these things have not side effects, but what's known as a long-term adverse event potential, heart attacks, bone fractures, magnesium deficiency, vitamin B12 deficiency, kidney issues. All these things have been, have been shown, but they're not in the label because the label says discontinue after eight weeks. Well, here's a newsflash. Nobody discontinues after eight weeks. Right. So that would be another example. Um, so we have about, uh, oh, even checkups. Americans get far more checkups than they need, particularly younger people. Often employers actually encourage checkups. So when an employer, uh, they see the quizzes before they go out. So I'd say when we have our checkup question about how often should you get a checkup, uh, a lot of times the employers say, oh, replace that with another one because we want them to go every year. They really shouldn't be going every year. Forget about right. the expense. It just isn't good for you. So the two things that we recommend in Quizify, and the easy one is the mnemonic is get two in your 20s, three in your 30s, four in your 40s, five in your 50s, and annually after that. Frankly, it's probably still too much for both most people, but if you really told people the truth, which is all the research shows no value to checkups, you'd lose your audience. And we don't want to lose the employee audience saying, oh, they're just trying right. to save money on this stuff. Right, right, right. That makes so sense. in any case, so you put the overutilized things together and uh, well, let's just use the example of CAT scans. I mean, typically you'll have about 200 per thousand employee or per thousand covered people. And uh, well, if that goes to 180, uh, you've saved 20. But what does a CAT scan cost you? About $700, $800 a piece. So yeah, over a thousand people, if you've reduced 20 CAT scans, uh, you know, 800 bucks a piece, that's uh, $16,000 per thousand. Well, guess what? Quizify doesn't even cost that much. So just on CAT scans, you've paid for all of Quizify. So basically, if the employer is large enough, they have access to their claims experience, we can look at a number of categories of typically overutilized care over the period that Quizify is in, in place. You'll take a look at claims experience, you know, pre and post, and uh, identify any uh, areas of re reduced utilization and kind of tie that back to some of the education that's been done, you know, via the quizzes. Yeah, and I would, I would qualify that two ways. Uh, first, well, I think you qualify it one way. It has to be categories that are significantly covered on Quizify. So if you happen yeah. to like have, you know, fewer transplants, well, we don't get credit for that because nothing, nothing Quizify yeah. is going to 
prevent that from happening. And the second thing that's very important is that this is completely valid in the sense that we're not just looking at participants versus non-participants. You're looking across the whole population. And you're not just looking at people who were high utilizers to begin with and getting regression to the mean. So the classic invalidators in wellness outcomes do not take place in our, in our guarantee. The class, say that again, the classic what? The classic invalidators. So, so the reason that wellness, like you read all the literature about wellness and it all says it loses money, but people say, well, our wellness program is making, is making money. Look at this vendor report. Well, the vendors are doing two things. Number one, they're comparing participants to non-participants. And it turns out it's been proven accidentally, actually, but up, down, and sideways that participants will always outperform non-participants, even if there's not a program to participate in. That's a completely invalid metric, and we don't use it. And the other one is to just take like a high-risk people or high utilizers and say, oh, we got them to go down. Well, yeah, you got, let's say high risk is, uh, high util- is heads and low risk is tails. Well, if you just measure the heads, a lot of them are going to flip to tails. You have to measure the people who are tails to begin with, too, because a lot of them are going to flip to heads. Sure. So along that lines of, you know, a lot of wellness programs, you know, not saving money. It's funny, you know, it seems like a decade ago, you know, there used to be a lot of discussion around return on investment with wellness programs. And it seems that most vendors in the space kind of have stopped talking about that. And now they talk about value of investment. So what's your take on the change in language? And do you think employers should expect a financial return from an investment in, in employee wellness? Well, they should not because they're not going to get it. Now, uh, there, there are two types of wellness. There's wellness done to employees and wellness done for employees. And it's very easy to, to distinguish them. If you have to have an appeals process or there, you have to put a large amount of money at stake to get people to do something, you're doing wellness to employees. That is never going to save money. And in fact, I even offer a $3 million, $3 million reward for anybody who can show that wellness has saved money in the U.S. this century. Then there's wellness done for employees. These are nice programs. These are programs, and, and the, the, the words nice program was coined by uh, Lee Lewis, who is not related to me, but is a very smart guy. I hate to say works for one of your uh, competitors. Um, the beauty of this engagement tool that we're talking about is that it measures the quote-unquote ROI in the broadest sense on nice programs in the sense that if, if you're putting money into a nice program and employees are using it and are saying it's useful, then you're getting an ROI on that nice program. If you're putting money into a, a program you think is nice but it's not getting any use, people don't say it's useful, then it's not working for you. But I can tell you that the ones that require people lining up to be screened and disclosing how much they, they drink and they smoke, which it's been proven up, down, and sideways, they lie about, I can tell you those things are not saving money. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I've been skeptical for, for a long time. But, you know, you, you bring up this, this notion of, of nice programs. So, I mean, can you expand on that? I mean, what qualifies as, as a nice wellness program versus one where you're, you're making people do things? Well, I, I think just what, just what you just said, if you have to make people do things, it's not a quote-unquote nice program. If you're offering things to people where you, you, the incentives are fairly minimal, like they are in Quizify, or maybe no incentive at all, and people are signing up for that, well, that would be considered a nice program. 
Okay. Now there's a there's another variable involved here, which is which is a very interesting one. We talked about the survey being two questions. A third question has been proposed, which I think is a very good one, and frankly doesn't help quizify at all. But that's fine. We just want to be valid. Is there certain programs and I fertility benefits is a classic example that's going to have low utilization and high cost? But does that mean that you shouldn't offer it? Well, there's a third question you ask in the survey, which is, should we continue to offer this benefit? Well, fertility is a perfect example of something where people are going to say yes to that. I mean, many people, hopefully. Sure. Even if they're not using it. So then you have this, this third variable on, on this graph that we talked about, which is, and then we, that we make that the size of the actual bubble on the bubble chart. Mm-hmm. So the size of the bubble helps determine the niceness of the program. So the niceness of the program is... How much, how much use, uh, how useful, and do people want you to continue it regardless of incentive? Got it. I like that. I like that metric, and I, I like that way, that uh, method as a way for employers to, to think about efficacy, right, of what they're doing historically versus, you know, what they do on a go-forward basis. I think that's great. Right. You can get in programs to guarantee their, you know, their positioning on that thing. You can, if, if something is low, you can get rid of it and go to something else. I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do with just those two or three questions and the cost of the program. Yep. So you mentioned costs. So what is the cost for an employer to sign up with Quizify? Well, it depends on the size of the employer, but it's, uh, there's a minimum of a two-year contract of $3,600 a year. The price can be as high as $1.30 an employee. It can be as a month. It can be as low as about sixty cents, depending on the size of the employer and the length of the contract, and whether you prepay annually or not. Spouses are half price. Got it. So, who do you think a program like this is a good fit for, and who is it not a good fit for, and and is there limitations as from a, as far as an employer size standpoint? Since there is a minimum order size, you should have about you know two hundred fifty or, or employees or so. We've only found one place where we just said, thanks, but no thanks. And that was a company that processed chickens. Okay, so, so these folks at this company, they had, they had very high disease burden. Yeah. But, I mean, they, they couldn't speak English, you know, and, and we have it in Spanish too. They couldn't, they couldn't read Spanish in some cases. <laughs> so, so we just, you know, we didn't want to embarrass ourselves and, 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 or them. So we said, no thanks there. But otherwise, I don't think we found a place where it doesn't fit. Now, sometimes people will say, well, you're doing this on email and we have, you know, 20% of our employees don't access email. Well, yeah, first of all, I think those employees are lying, frankly, because I think they right. just don't want to be bothered. But we say, we say that's, we say fine. Yeah, exactly. We say fine. We just won't charge you for that 20%. We'll charge you the PM, PM on the 80% and the other 20% are welcome to use it. You're just not paying for it. And that, that, that handles that part of the conversation. That makes sense. That makes sense. Have you ever encountered any obstacles to an employer, you know, saying yes to implementing the, the program? Uh, zero obstacles. Where, where, where people don't do it, uh, it's, it's just out of, um, you know, inertia. It's not like there's another, you know, we have competitors. It's not like something is wrong with education. In fact, we, we often say to people, is there anything else in your entire company where employees get an unlimited budget and no training and how to spend it. 
you know, you, you know that's, that's healthcare. I mean, you, is there anything else in your organization where you say, no, we don't want employees to be educated. We want them to be dumb. No, of course not. No, and yet that's no. what happens in healthcare. So, so when people don't, and in fact, even we have a, a 100% retention rate. We've been around for four years in companies of a thousand employees or more. We've lost some smaller ones, but one of the smaller ones we just, we just lost, the person who did it, the, our contact said, we love your program. I'm really sorry. We just have new administration in and they want to do something different. Hopefully the employees will revolt and we can get you back. You know, so even I mean, there's there's no not liking this. I mean, there's people who just say, "Oh, I'm not interested in, in in trivia," but the people who are interested are very interested. Well, I can tell you from a personal standpoint, I went through you know the demo with you and your colleague Mark, and I was immediately entertained and educated. And we did a, a demo with one of my clients, and I'm pretty confident that they're going to sign up. But I think. I think what you're doing is actually filling a gap in the marketplace. You know, there's, there's this whole notion of health and productivity and wellness programs. And I think now, you know, the, the trend is to focus on, on more uh, a holistic approach than just the HRA and, you know, getting people to move. But I think one of the gaps has been education, you know, specifically on nutrition, right? on how to use the healthcare system because none of us never got that education, you know, going through high school or through college. To me, you know, you guys are filling a gap in, in the marketplace that, you know, really hasn't been addressed, you know, in the last, well, as long as I've been working in employee benefits, you know, health and productivity. It hasn't. That's why I had that epiphany that if this is happening to me, remember the earlier we talked about this massive amount of sort of overdiagnosis and proposed overtreatment, it's got to be happening to everybody, which it is. And then on the healthy living side, I mean, I used to eat these granola bars. It was, it was so, did, like, so did I. So did I. Yeah, yeah. It was by happenstance that I happened to be just really bored at one point on the train, and I read the ingredients label. I think, oh my goodness, what am I putting in my mouth here? So, and, and the beauty of our business is that you can't copy it. I mean, if it, uh, you either get it from us or you don't get it. You know, because this is healthcare is generally a left brain discipline where you know there's there's big data involved and and routinized this is a right brain company and and it's like it, trying to copy it would be like oh the harry potter books have been successful so let's write books like harry potter no that's not the way it works well and i think for the most part you know healthcare insurance it doesn't really get employees very excited and so i think adding anything that's lighthearted and entertaining is probably a, a welcome approach. Oh, uh, yeah. People are, uh, I mean, they, you would be amazed at the, the comments we get. Like we got to kind of, this is on our website somewhere. Most of our comments have, our reviews have names associated with them. This one does not have a name, but it was a great comment. I said, this program is nowhere near as bad as I thought it would be. Because you know? so, <laughs> uh, expectations are so low. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is pretty true. With healthcare, there, it's, a, it, it's a low bar to exceed for sure. Al, I, we've talked about a lot of great things. Is there anything that you're really excited about in the business or any improvements that you're working on which you'd like to share with the audience? Well, we're always uh, incrementally improving. And the, and the big one that, we, that we've just introduced is people can actually, actually there are two big ones that we've introduced. The first one is that people can actually take their own quizzes. So after you take the standard quiz where the employer, you know, might have a couple of questions that they've added about benefits and where you have a standard curriculum where we're going to compare you to, you know, the rest of the world kind of thing. At the end, it'll say, 
Want to take another one? How about, you know, parenting, elder care, sure. uh, summer hazards, that kind of thing. And so they can actually write their own curriculum, write their own quizzes. So for a, a standard price, we basically can offer a custom product. And the, the second thing is we've actually uh, reconfigured this into a health risk assessment, but unlike every other health risk assessment, there's no, the employees aren't going to lie because there's no opportunity to lie. And we also essentially cover instead of just the risk of, you know, cardio metabolic, which is only one risk factor and folks like you and me don't have it. And then three quarters of the population don't have it. We cover other risk factors, you know, financial risk, risk of using the medical care, everyday hazard risk, like um, one of the examples that you saw on our website uh, was, um, you know, toothpaste. Okay, well, it turns out that yes. Colgate contains a pesticide and pressed the pesticide and Crest doesn't, you know, so we've got all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, I, I'm, I was really excited as I read that because I don't use Colgate. So I'm, I'm excited to not have any pesticide in my mouth when I'm brushing my teeth. Yes. Well, and, you know, and the thing is, Michael, when I do these quizzes live, and I do many live contests at business groups on health, like uh, Pittsburgh I'm doing in September, for example, one of the questions, I, I, we use that question about the toothpaste, where, you know, what's the difference between Colgate and Crest? And one of the choices is Colgate contains a pesticide. And then we go through the answers. And I say, you want behavior change from wellness? Well, raise your hand if you're ever going to use Colgate again. <laughs> so, so that's behavior change. And, and very specifically, very specifically, the difference between health literacy education and wellness is that in health literacy education, you, you get 99% of behavior change is knowing the fact, and only 1% is actually having to do it. So, for instance, if I told you that the, the new, fat, new light bulbs, the curly Q, curly Q light bulbs, contain uh, much more blue light than the old ones. So you shouldn't use them in your bedside table if you have trouble falling asleep because they're actually keeping you awake. Mm -hmm. Well, 99% of the behavior change is learning that. 1% is unscrewing one light bulb and sure. screwing in another. Yep. And wellness is exactly the opposite. Yeah. Okay. Eat more broccoli, lose weight, you know, quit smoking. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Now you got to do the 99%, which is actually doing it. Yeah, much uh, lower, I think, barrier to, uh, what's the word Behavior here? change. Yes, yeah. yes, for sure, yeah. for sure. Well, Al, this has been great. If there was uh, one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? I think you pretty much covered the landscape. You covered the landscape. We, we essentially have, have told you everything about Quizify that you would need to know. Love that. So how can other people listening to this podcast learn more about Quizify? Al at Quizify.com or just go to the Quizify website, Quizify.com, play a few questions, and then it'll give you a contact us. There you go. Al, this has been a, a good interview. I really hope that uh, our listeners get a chance to uh, go to the, the website and learn more. On behalf of our audience here, I want to thank you for taking time out of your, your schedule to join us. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. So thank you very much for that, Michael. You are very welcome. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. And with that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. All right. Another great episode in the books. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. For those interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare.com where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Quizify's website and contact information as well as a host of additional good content and articles.
Lastly, we've got some good interviews uh, lined up over the next couple months, but we're always looking for good companies to have on the show. If you know of any organization doing good work in the marketplace that you think would be a good fit, send us a note on our website and we'll check them out. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.